If I were to ask you a very sobering question, what is the worst thing that ever happened to you? There would be a variety of responses in this room. I don't take lightly the emotions that I would unleash in this room. But for many people here, you immediately know exactly what that is. It could have happened a long time ago when you were young. It could have been very random or it could have involved family. It could have been many months or years ago and some of you, it's happening to you right now. Most of you are thinking about a traumatic event, some surprise, or a series of events, and you're also thinking about a sad situation, unexpected trouble. For many of you, it's loss. And for some of you, it's ongoing. And as I think about this, I know that for everybody here, there is a, a weight, a, a great weight on you for how it affects you and how it has affected you over the years or how it is affecting you and how it's impacting your journey. So I want you to hold on to that right now because I want to talk to you about how God uses the stuff of earth and turns them into the things of heaven. I wanna encourage you in 2 Corinthians. So if you have your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter four. We're gonna start reading in verse seven. Verse seven reminds us that Paul, as a minister of the gospel, is writing to the church at Corinth and he is speaking to them as a minister and he is talking about our lives as believers and encouraging them in the Lord. And also as a minister, he's trying to be honest and talk to them about walking in this world. And he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Is, isn't that life? We have these incredible treasures, all these the possibilities and life, but they're in these jars of clays that can be cracked, that can be broken. Life is fragile. And so he says, we have these treasures in jars of clay, but it's to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of the death, in the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in, ours, in our bodies. It's like trouble, it's like Satan sometimes in this world, he goes, we have you surrounded. completely surrounded by trouble, troubled, 
distressed on every side. And so we see the words like you may be perplexed, but God's power saves you from despair. And then in these next verses, Paul writes and says, Jesus has given us life in the midst of all this death. He has done this. And so because of all of this, we continue in verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. I told Sherry, I woke up yesterday on Saturday. I woke up and my elbow, I do not know what I did. And I'm one of these like two or three day delayed soreness guys. So I'm like, what did I do on Thursday or Wednesday that made my elbow sore? And then I've got a little soreness right here. I like, I look like an old man walking up here like this. But let me tell you something, 20, I'm 22 inside. I am not wasting away on the outer self. But inside I'm being renewed day by day. For this, and this is the, man, this is, this is the one to underline right here. Verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporal, temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And so I want to take Paul's admonition to the church for it to be to you today. The first thing is this. Your suffering is not meaningless. Sure, in this world, so many things seem to be such a waste when evil triumphs. And we think that the scales are out of balance. And so many times when things happen, it just seems such a waste. But I am here to be bold enough to say it's not meaningless. I'm going to give you an example straight out of the Bible of what we would think of as meaningless. I love the story of John the Baptist who prepared the way for Jesus. I love all of it, but in my flesh, I can't stand the end of it. Jesus said about John, now remember this, Jesus said this about John. There is no greater man born of a woman than John. Greatest man. But John, because he looked the king straight in the eye and said, you can't have her. She is Philip's wife. You're an adulterer. No one else had the guts to speak like that to a powerful man and say, what you're doing is evil. John did. He had the guts to say it. He says it. Well, it got him. And because the king can do anything at any time for any reason, anything he wants, so he puts John in jail, but he's scared of him. So he doesn't kill him. And he's being held there and he just, he's sitting in prison. 
But then along comes Herod's birthday and he gives a party for himself and he, show, and he, and he throws in there a little sexual addition. And so his stepdaughter dances, a really, really pleasing dance that turns everybody on at the party. And it's so impressive and everybody, she can see the response and everybody can see the response. The king looks at her and says, I will grant you anything up to about half of my kingdom. She doesn't know. She goes to her mom, Herodias, uh, who hates John the Baptist. Says, he offered me anything. I don't know, I don't know what, he, I don't even want to say. And her mom says, ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. So she walks back in, everyone is listening, and what, what is she gonna ask for? What is she gonna ask for? She says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Well, silence is in the room. The king can't take it back right now. He whispers to his attendant, get it. So John is sitting there in the prison. He's wondering, how is it that the kingdom of God is going to come? He's a spiritual man who's preached and taught. Two guys come in the cell and they have swords in their hands. And as he sits there, the man says, come over here and kneel down. And John, I'm sure, is, what happened? What, what's going on? And the executioner says, the king's daughter danced at a party and said, she wanted your head on a platter, so we're here to do that. We'll just bind you, so don't resist us at all. That was the last 20 seconds of his life. Now, there's so much a part of me that goes, and then they behead him, and I just, everything in me says, can there be anything more meaningless than a party and a girl that dances in front of all these people and half of them are drunk and everything? And here's one of the great, Jesus says, there's no greater man than John, born of a woman, and the girl dances and off comes his head. That seems so meaningless to me. What a waste. That's not glorious. I think for many people, when we see death around us, which I have experienced, you know, with, with, with Sherry's family, you have, I've been around you, when I've been with you when you've lo lost loved ones. And when it's different kinds, whether it's dementia or cancer or whatever it is, there's, there's just some times where we think about our suffering and we think, oh, this just isn't the way. And there's something unsettled about us. I always say this because I think I've had dear loved ones. I, I think about Jerry Walker, who I love so much, who's now with the Lord. And he suffered with brain, you know, with, this, with this, this, this awful disease, cancer. You know, this cancer. And I think about that and I go, what? and I always, I always, I talked to Jerry about that. And I just said, oh, Jerry, you know, wouldn't it be better if he, and he, and I, he said, I'm, I'm fine. I, I'm, I'm fine with the Lord. And I, I talked, I've talked to Jeremy about this. I think all of us, we all would wish probably like, I'll take a bullet for my wife. Like I'll jump out. That would be glorious. That would be better. 
But the truth is for so many, including myself, we're wasting away and we don't get to choose that. But your suffering is not meaningless. It's not meaningless. I got saved at a retreat in 1980. We were at a retreat and all of us were together and it was Friday night on Easter weekend and in came the pastor of my church and you could tell by his body language something was wrong and he gathered everybody together and he basically, and as an athlete, somebody who had grown up playing football and basketball and baseball, I looked up to a guy named Cam Wheeler who was playing football in West Virginia uh, at, in college and had spring, you know, and I looked up to him and he came in and said, Cam Wheeler has passed away this afternoon. After football practice, spring training, he died on the field. I could not revive him. And I, that weekend, my world was kind of shaken because I put my, I'd really put my whole trust, my future, everything, my identity, everything was in sports. And that day, God used that moment to realize there's more to life than sports. Even as a 16-year-old, God spoke to me. Many years later, Sherry and I went back to my home church. I'm at First Baptist, and I am, uh, we come in and we sit down early, and behind me is Emily Wheeler. That is Cam's mom. And I knew Mrs. Wheeler for years, and uh, so I turned around to her and I said, you know, uh, Mrs. Wheeler, I just want you to know that I'm a pastor now and I, I preach, and I have talked about Cam Wheeler to so many people over my ministry life, I've told them about his passing and how it woke me up. And with tears in her eyes, she said to me, Johnny, that doesn't bring him back, but it sure does help. I, want her, I wanted her to know that that suffering had not been meaningless. Here's the second thing that I wanna to talk to you about that's very important. It's sort of the main point of what I want you to get a hold of today is that my suffering is producing a future glory. Your suffering is producing a future glory. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, and it's important, our light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Now, for most of us, we all are sitting here and we're going, oh, our, this light momentary affliction that we have in this world the stuff that we have to go through in this life is gonna be followed by the weight of glory. I mean, that's the way we all think of it. But this says, and I wanna get it right, and I wanna make sure you get it right, it, will, it is producing. And that word right there, kater gatsumi. It's, it's the Greek, kater gatsumi. The word means to produce or prepare or cause to bring about. That's what the word means. That your suffering, every millisecond of your pain in, this, in the fallen nature of this world and the fallenness of this world, every second of your misery in the path of obedience, of trusting God, is producing a particular glory that will be because of your suffering. And so I want you to know what Paul is saying is that we are surrounded 
by all of this, but we are not full of despair because we know that God is redeeming it. Now, I know that this is a bold statement. For some people here, it might be very fresh. It might be something that I hope that it's not inappropriate. I'm trying to be bold in the Lord today. But I do want you to know it's not meaningless. I don't care if we're talking about cancer or criticism, whether we're talking about diabetes or whether we're talking about dementia. I don't care if it was slander or sickness. It wasn't meaningless because of this passage says that this light, momentary, lifelong, total affliction is doing something and it's doing something and it's not meaningless. It's producing a future glory. You can't see it. You can't feel it. Either you see it in the eyes of faith and believe it because the text says not to lose heart but we do because see in our lives, this is all we can see right here. And, and I, I put this tape on this rope. Uh, I know I've done this before, this illustration before, but I just wanna remind you that this tape on this rope represents your life. This is the length of your life. And it's exaggerated for eternity because eternity is forever. And we think about this life and the pain and all the things that come into our lives and we look at it and it's all we can see. So we, we do, we, get, we, we despair, we get perplexed about what's going on because we, we worry about everything because we just, we, we get so concerned where are we going to launch and how am I going to get out of this and what am I going to do for a job and what are we going to do and how am I going to live and relationships and how's it going to go? And we just think about the little red tape But God created every person here for eternity. And your eternity has already begun. And the Bible says, and the great, the reason that we get together is to talk about the redemption that Jesus gives us. That he is the one who paid the price so that we could live forever. And that not only has he overcome Every sin, he has overcome the world, but it doesn't seem like it because it's like, we're just like, we're just, we, all we see, all we see is this. We see this and we struggle. But the Bible says that you were created for eternity to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever forever and ever and ever, that you were created for eternity. And you were created, and when you suffer, you are creating in even the suffering, it's not meaningless. This light and momentary affliction, it is preparing for you an eternity forever and ever and ever. So many times in our lives, and I am not trying to be naive, but this is all we think about. Paul's trying to write to a group of people to say there's more. There's more. 
There is your eternity. That you're, these are the things that are unseen. This is unseen. This is unseen. You don't know it yet. But God is preparing for us. We all know the Bible. We know enough about John 3.16 that God gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That means that you live forever. Not meaningless. It's producing something for eternity. So I wanna encourage you today and be bold enough to ask of you to allow suffering to strengthen your faith. Satan's plan for the things that happen in our life is to destroy us. But I wanna encourage you that my suffering can strengthen my faith. And I wanna tell you, it's something that I am still learning, but it's true. Can I share with you a poem? It's an unknown author, but Ravi Zacharias read this many years ago and I got my hands on, I wanna share with you today. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay, which only God understands while his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses him to every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. Suffering makes us fragile and susceptible and it weakens us. You know, it's kind of like sometimes we become the easy target because we're the weak and puny one. But one of the things as I get older is I'm reminded of what an old pastor used to say, and he might have even written a book about it, and that is, and at my age, I'm seeing it more and more, the bumps are what I climb on. The bumps in my life, they're exactly what I'm climbing on now. I wanna encourage you, God can use those things that you suffer through to build your faith you see, Satan doesn't fight like a gentleman. He doesn't. He doesn't play. He plays dirty 100% of the time. He looks for susceptible prey. He is perfectly capable. He will kick you when you are down. We know John 10:10. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I want you to know the second half of that verse is, I have come, because Jesus said it, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. I want that to strengthen you today. 
For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, transit, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I want that to strengthen you today when you think about the stoning of Stephen. When you think about that. When you think about John the Baptist, eternity. And here's my last point, how to turn the stuff of this earth into the things of heaven is to remind you that our suffering is a test. My suffering is a test. And when you look at the suffering of somebody, for example, in the Old Testament, like Job, everybody knows the sufferings of Job. And when you think about him, you realize that he suffered because of a, a heavenly high stake wager. He did that. And there's only two innocent people in the Bible that suffered. That is Job and Jesus. And the central question to the book of Job is this, and it's for us today too. Can a human being, can we in these jars of clay, can we hold on to God and faith and life and love when it doesn't seem to pay off in this world at all? Job's faithfulness and suffering was being used by God really, listen to me, to vindicate God's whole adventure in covenant love. So I ask you, does our response to suffering matter? Because you might say, what does it matter? Does it matter? And I wanna say the answer is absolutely yes. Our response matters more than we can ever imagine, more than we can dream. So here what I came here today to say, don't let go, don't give up, don't quit. And what is your source of comfort? Is it, oh, when the circumstances get better. I want to propose to you that our comfort comes from the character of God. The source of our comfort is the character of God. Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. What Satan has meant for evil in your life, God can use for good. In my life, the devil has bet against me many times and time and time again. In God's grace, I am still standing here today to say, I still believe God is faithful. And your suffering is not in vain. It is not meaningless. You may think that it, that suffering is the thing that's keeping you from witnessing God's goodness but it may be the very thing God uses in a fallen world to bring glory to his suffering of his son. And so the difference between me becoming bitter and better is me living under the hand of God. Because it depends, 
in this world, all the things that happen to you, good and bad, whose hands it's in. I mean, if I have a basketball in my hand, uh, it's worth like $40. That's it. In LeBron James's hands, it's worth about 50 to $100 million a year. It depends on whose hands it's in. If I have a baseball in my hand, it's worth about six bucks. If Clayton Kershaw is holding it, it's worth about $30 million a year. It depends on whose hands it's in. A tennis racket is pretty useless in my hand. I actually call going to play tennis with my family ball pickup. <laughs> a tennis racket in Roger Federer's hands equals about 85 career titles. It depends on whose hands it's in. A slingshot in my hand is a kid's toy. A slingshot in David's hand is a mighty weapon. It depends on whose hands it's in. Two fish and five loaves of bread is a couple of fish sandwiches in my hands. Two fish and five loaves of bread in God's hand will feed thousands of people. It depends on whose hands it's in. Nails in my hands might hold some wood together. Nails in Jesus' hands will produce salvation for the entire world. As you see, it depends on whose hands it's in. So put your concern, your suffering, your worries, your fears, and yes, even your hopes and what you, even the dreams that God has put inside your life, put all of that and all of your relationship in God's hand because it does depend whose hands it's in. So I remind you this morning of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So as we bring these jars of clay here today with all of our different stories, with all of our different stuff that we've experienced in our life, we're gonna take this moment to look to Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith because on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. And then he took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which is given for you for the ransom of sin. So I want us to take the elements and remember the Lord that he is redeeming everything, including our suffering. Father, thank you for answers to prayer. And Lord, thank you for the blessings of life. But Lord, I know that there are people here today that are struggling because the answers they've wanted have not come or the circumstance has not worked out the way they thought it would. 
whether it's divorce or through death or whether it was brokenness, whatever it is, Lord. But Lord, I am praying today that you are redeeming all things. And Lord, for everybody who's suffering here, I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit in their life to bring healing and comfort to them in a broken world. And Lord, we look to you. Only you have the answers to these eternal questions. And so, Father, we look to you because you are our hope. And so, Father, today I pray that we would remember our great source of eternal life, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.